0: Our Bible reading this morning is taken from St. John's Gospel, uh, chapter 6, and commencing to read at verse 25, going through to verse 59. Headed up, Jesus, the bread of life. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? And Jesus answered, very truly I tell you, you are looking for me not because you saw the signs I performed, But because you ate the loaves and had your fill, do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Then they asked him, what must we do to do the works that God requires? Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one who has sent, he has sent. So they asked him, "What signs then will you give? What sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate, in, ate manna in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat." Jesus said to them, "Very truly I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven." For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me and still you do not believe. All those the father gives me will come to me and whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all those he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. At this the Jews there began to grumble about him, because he said, I am the bread of life that came down from heaven. They said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he now say, I came down from heaven? Stop grumbling amongst yourselves, Jesus answered. No one can come down to me unless the Father who has sent me draws them, and I will raise them up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard the Father and learned him comes to me. No one has seen the Father except the one who is from God. Only he has seen the Father. Very truly I tell you, the one who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate manna in the wilderness, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give you for the life of the world. And then the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? And Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up on the last day. For my flesh is real food. And my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in them. Just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your ancestors ate manna and died, but whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. He said this while teaching the synagogue at Capernaum. Amen.
1: Thank you, Alan, and hello, everybody. As Joe said, today we start in a series called I Am Jesus Messiah, and it comes from the statements Jesus makes in John's Gospel. Now, it's been said about John's Gospel that it's shallow enough that a child can play in it and deep enough that an elephant could drown in it. And as I say, as I sat down this week and was doing my research in John 6, I found myself playing like a child. But soon enough, my trunk was going up like a snorkel as it got deeper and deeper and deeper. As I have two words of advice: one is make sure you get into this passage on your time or in your life group, because there's so much more than we can visit this morning. And two is always be attentive to the subject line. John's Gospel, like a good email, has a good subject line that tells you what to expect. Because he brings lots of things to our attention, but in his final chapter he says, all of these things have been written so that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ. John hasn't just uh, set up a world's greatest show, P.T. Barnum, uh, collection of wondrous things for us to marvel at but wondrous signs that point to a wondrous God who makes himself known in Jesus Christ. And so all these things have been written, so you might have that knowledge and you might adopt that belief and that conviction that Jesus is Lord. If you remember that, it's a really great snorkel as you're going through John's Gospel. Now, as we come to John's Gospel today, it's probably one of those things that prompted him to say, look, I wrote these things so you might believe rather than you might miss the point because as we jump in right now this is a passage almost to an abbot and costello who's on first what's on second kind of moment there's a lot of point missing going on to understand this this teaching or discourse or statement that jesus gives to the crowd and answers their questions comes in the shadow of two significant signs Now, throughout John's gospel, as he reveals Jesus, he talks about some of the signs Jesus did. You might be familiar with some of them. The first one was Jesus turned water into wine at a wedding in Cana. Very popular wedding guest that day, I suspect. But more recently, there are two signs that really cast a shadow on this moment of teaching. One of them very public, one of them less public but highly conspicuous. The public is the feeding of the 5,000. You've heard of this. This is 5,000 men plus their companions fed with one kid's play lunch. Following that, so very public, following that, Jesus would walk on water across Lake Galilee. Again, significant in revealing something about this Jesus so in the shadow of these two great signs, wonders, miracles, John calls them signs, there's huge misunderstanding and a people who miss the point. Let me see if I can demonstrate from verse 25. Our reading kicked off with these words. Verse 25, when they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Okay, here's our first misunderstanding. This is a when question, when a how question would have been far more suitable. Uh, you are a people who live near a lake. Maybe I should have hired some buses and we could have done this lakeside just to illustrate. What John tells us is imagine we go down to Lake Illawarra, right? Everyone's there, we're all having a good time. And you see maybe, uh, I don't know, you see Greg and the Bell family are there. And there's One boat. And then Whitney and the kids jump in the boat and they leave. And they leave Greg behind. The next day you get in your boat and you go over to the other side of Lake Illawarra and Greg's there. And you say, when did you get here? And he said, oh, about 15 minutes before you did. What's going on here is John tells us these people observed that the disciples had one boat and they left Jesus behind. They then jump in their boats, cross over to the other side of the lake... And Jesus is there. And the best they can do is go, when would you get here? A question like that sets them up for an underwhelming answer because Jesus could have just said, oh, a couple of hours before you guys. Okay, great, what's for lunch? Had they said how, their minds would have been blown because they knew that for Jesus to make that roughly 13-kilometer trip, either he's the world's first marathon swimmer or something very significant is going on, and the disciples who saw it could testify. They missed the point. Oh, you're here. When would you get here? The question was, how would you get here? This sets up a series of misinterpreted signs that Jesus is now going to speak in with some very clear statements about who he is to try and clear up and make some uh, important revelations of himself. In doing this and in answering them, I think in the context of missing the point, Jesus is going to expose for them two significant errors that are real for them. And may I be bold and say, I think are real for society today and even real for us as we gather. Here's error number one. The error is the tummy versus the soul. In verse 26, Jesus says, Very truly, I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Uh, My translation? Gee, lunch became a big deal to you guys, didn't it? See, in John chapter 6, verse 1, we're told that all these people came, this crowd of 5,000 plus came, not because they were hungry. They didn't come because they were hungry, they came because they'd seen some signs, From Jesus, that he was healing the sick. Now, these people are in progressive discovery mode. Maybe some of them got it. Maybe some of them went, A guy has come and he's healing the sick. And we know that the Old Testament promised that when Messiah came, the one who brings God's blessing, the lame would walk and the blind would see. Maybe it's him. Maybe at a more basic level, they went, Hey, a guy is here who seems to be overcoming some of the boundary markers of life sickness, illness, and maybe even death. Maybe it's him. Maybe some of it a more even basic level. Went, well, I don't want to be sick, and he seems to be a fantastic doctor. Let's go. They came to him because of the signs. They came for Messiah, and they stayed for Maccas, which is weird. This is what Jesus is saying. You came with the signs. Well, John tells us they came for the signs, but now Jesus says, but you're looking for me because you got a free lunch. Gee, lunch became a really big deal to you guys. What he might be saying is, it appears that the grumbling of your tummy became louder than the stirring of your soul. The stirring of your soul led you to look for a Messiah, one who did these signs, and so you came. But quickly, when I offered you lunch, you went, hey, there's the guy who makes your tummy not grumble anymore. And the grumbling tummy and the satisfying of became louder out of a higher priority than the stirring of the soul. You let your tummy take over and it became the decider of what is best. What would gratify and satisfy became what's best. And Jesus says, man, you guys switched. You switched. Tummy took over soul. I hope it's not too bold to say, but I think it's true that what happens in this episode of John 6 is not unique to these Jewish people on one side of Lake Galilee. Isn't this the human condition? Where sometimes the grumble of our tummy, the things we want, the things we need, the discomforts we endure, become louder than the stirring of the soul, that there is more, that there's more beyond this life. And I'm not here to tell you that satisfying a grumbling tummy is a bad thing because then I'd have to take issue with Jesus who actually did feed them lunch and some other parts of the scriptures. The other gospels speak about this same incident from the perspective of isn't this a compassionate saviour who saw them like a sheep without a shepherd and came to feed. So it's not to say that satisfying your tummy is a bad thing necessarily But when the the grumbling of the tummy becomes louder than the stirring of the soul, Jesus says, whoa, lunch became a big deal. It's a tricky thing to wrestle with for us, isn't it? Just as it was for them, because am I wrong to say I think we've got pretty good at satisfying the grumbling of the tummy? When was the last time you hunted and gathered? I don't know what's for lunch today. My wife's overseas, I'm single parenting and after the service, I'll probably just duck down the chicos or something and make it happen. Satisfy some grumbling tummies. It's easy. We've got really skillful. That's not a bad thing. It's a helpful thing. We've got skillful at satisfying grumbling tummies. We've got fast at satisfying grumbling tummies. So we're skillful. You're hot, you're hot, you're hot. Okay, we'll turn on the air conditioning. We know how to cool it down. We're skillful. These are wonderful things to be blessed with. You haven't got plans for lunch? Chicos has got you covered. Man, do we support those guys well from this platform? I'm going to start to ask for something. No, I'm not. No, I'm not. I'm not. I'm online. Oh jeez, I've said bad things. Dig up Shane. We've got skillful. We've got fast. And let it be known that we can be quite noble as well. Some of these grumblings of our tummies are not bad things. Just like lunch is not a bad thing. Uh, think about uh, sort of just having a quick reflect on what different generations have really sought for. And if you're kind of the generation coming out of the Great Depression, post-war, all that sort of stuff, then there's a grumbling in the tummy for stability. Because you saw people, you saw your parents... Literally hungry because there wasn't much around. And so everyone worked really hard to satisfy the need for stability to make life work. If you save really hard, you may get by. Well, things got better and the boomers came after that generation and maybe opportunity became a grumbling of the tummy. Hey, you know what? You're not going to starve. But if you work really hard, there's an opportunity for you and for you and for you. And if you, you get in there... You can make a go of this life. That's not a bad thing. To seek stability is not bad. To want to seize and create opportunity is not bad. Other generations have spoken about being inclusive. Hey, some people missed out on the opportunities, and what if we could set things up in such a way that people aren't missing out and we can come together? That's not a bad thing. Other generations, and there's a bit of overlap, have talked about sustainability. What if What if we could make it Keep going because what's the point of being like magnesium glowing bright and then it's over? What if we could make this thing last? Hey, what if we could make our earth last longer? All good things. But all perhaps coming from a grumble of the tummy. And so, what happens when sustainability is a grumble of the tummy rather than a stirring of the soul? uh, Sorry, if stability is a grumbling of the tummy rather than a stirring of the soul. And the most stable I can hope for is to make life work rather than to secure eternity, which is going to require some help. What if opportunity and inclusion is the stir, is the grumbling of my tummy, but doesn't recognize the stir of my soul that actually hears later words of Jesus that says things like, I am the gate. There are some decisions you make that have consequences and Some will miss out. And what about when inclusivity means you hide the truth or won't declare the truth so that everyone can be included in falsity? And when sustainability, confused with good stewardship of things like the environment, which we're called to, to love, protect, use well becomes this concept this tummy grumbling concept that we can make the earth last forever for our children and our children and our children's children Now that's a noble cause but we also have a God of eternity who said it's not forever it's just not it started in time it will end in time and there's a realm eternal beyond it what's the plan How are we going to measure the grumbling of the tummy against the stirring of the soul? Jesus has a word in verse 27 where he says, Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you, for on him God the Father has placed his seal of approval. I want you to know that Jesus isn't saying, if you're concerned what's for lunch, you've done bad. You haven't, because Jesus was concerned for what's, what's for lunch and he fed them. He's saying, but if that's your primary investment, if that's your highest good, if the loudest voice is the grumbling of your tummy, you might have missed something. It's time to refocus. What about the stirring of your soul? What about what comes next? Jesus is taking on the first error. And perhaps the first error of humanity is to start to become so invested in this life that we have here that we don't recognize there is a realm beyond. To hear the grumbling of the tummy we have here so loud that its voice is a higher priority than the stirring of the soul. Now, some years ago, a, a lady I loved and did church with who was part of my team, said, I really want to make sure that you preach to my Mondays. And I took that on as a real encouragement. I want to preach to your Mondays. I want to tell you things that make life full of wisdom and are practical and that you can use and that we can employ and put our hands to. And that's a good encouragement and I don't want to back away from it for one moment. A concern, not a fear, that perhaps I have for myself in our Christian community is that at times our pendulum has moved to a space where we have a gospel and we celebrate the wisdom of God that we might nobly, nobly, rightly, and goodly satisfy the grumblings of tummies, which is a right thing to do and a godly thing to do, but maybe have lost some of the homesickness for heaven. Where our Christianity pushes so hard into the love and good, helpful things we can do in our now time, which I cannot stress enough, are godly, good things to do. And praise the Lord for those who have spoken into these things and pushed us to be more practical as Christians. But we've got to not let that drown out what is eternal And that is that the world will end, we will stand before Jesus, there will be judgment, some will go to eternal condemnation, it's called hell, and some will be in eternal life with God. It's not okay to send one another and others off to hell well fed and well clothed. Those are good things, they satisfy grumbling tummies but we must not let the grumbling tummy get louder than the stirring of the soul. And so Jesus says, work for food that endures to eternal life. In fact, if I read John six twenty seven more accurately, Jesus says, do not work for the food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. And here's a good spot for us to look at the second error. If the first error is when our tummy grumble gets louder than the stirring of the soul and we think that this life is all we got, then perhaps the second error is when the work gets in the way. <clears throat> John six twenty eight. Jesus is speaking with them and they hear what he has said. Oh, okay, so there's something more. They say, well, then what must we do to do the works God requires? Here's the second error. The second error is to have heard the first error, Ah, I need a new focus. There's more than just this life. There's a new focus, but to seek the new focus in the same old way. What do I mean? Well, perhaps because we got so good at gratifying our tummies, we're skillful, we're noble, we're fast. When Jesus says, Hey, there's life beyond this life and you, you want that, we say... Well, I figured out this life, so just give me the list. What do I need to do? I'm pretty good at this stuff. Give me your list, give me your works, and I'll get, I'll get about that, and I'll uh, see you in heaven, old son. And that's the second error, when the work gets in the way. Because they say, okay, well, what should we do? Let's reread verse 27 again. Do not work for food that spoils But for food that endures to eternal life. So Jesus says, a new focus. Then he speaks of a new way. He says, which the Son of Man will. Everybody say, give. Emphatic. Uh, He says, give. It's a gift, it's a new focus and a new economy. The new focus is eternal, and it's secured not through what you do, but through what you are given. And Jesus says, I'm here to give it to you. The second error is a new focus in the same old way, and I suspect it's the most famous yet false view of the Christian faith. I don't know if this happened for you, but I encounter others who believe that I believe that there is a good God who sent His Son to model what I should be doing, make me feel bad about it, and if I could try harder, maybe I could be more like my big brother Jesus, and then my Heavenly Father would like me better. My summary of how I often hear the Christian faith spoken back to me and infect the Christian church sometimes. But here we have a story of gift which is, no, we delete what you do. That doesn't count towards heaven. Instead, there is a realm beyond this one, so a new focus and a new way to secure it is to trust that Jesus, the Son of Man, wants to give it to you and to freely receive it. The work simply gets in the way. The great creaturely errors are that there is nothing beyond creation either to hope for or to trust in. And sometimes we creatures miss the point. So Jesus starts these I am statements to make the point. And as Jesus makes his point, he, uh, this is just, if we have more time, we could laugh about this because it's crazy funny. Uh, uh, trust me, it's crazy funny. My 13-year-old daughter sat with me, we read through this and we are in hysterics because Jesus has done all these signs and things like this and explained, and they missed the point, and now the crowd comes back to him and said, you know what would really help Jesus? Oh, what's that? If we just had a sign. There's been five thus far, and that's just the ones John's recorded. Anyway, they say, if we could have a sign, maybe something we could see. What, lunch the other day was invisible to you? Well, okay, okay. Uh, If we could have a sign, one we could see, and one that's got a a touch of the the familiar with it. They said, look, there was a sign from heaven before, from God. Uh, It happened back in the day with our ancestors. As they travelled out of slavery in Egypt into the Promised Land, God provided miraculous bread from heaven called manna. Now, we have to go real fast. That's Exodus 16, if you want to go and read about that story. Here's my very quick summary. It was a trip from here to here. God sustained his people so they wouldn't starve to death with miraculous bread that came from heaven. Didn't grow on the ground, it appeared on the ground from heaven. Uh, each day it appeared. You couldn't store it up, near, nor were you permitted to store it up. Those who tried, it just went bad. you got to depend each day for the bread. Um, the bread was just right, gave you everything you needed to get along. Uh, in the tummies of sinful people, they got sick of it, wanted something different. Uh, but it always did the job. There's Exodus 16 in a very quick summary. So in the wake of these two great errors and the request for a sign, Jesus speaks and he says this, I am the bread of life. My attention here is on verses 35 to 40, though I won't speak to them all. He says, I am the bread of life, and because of that, I will raise them up at the last day. When Jesus says, I am the bread of life, he is pressing right into this manna story. He says, you may think the manna from heaven was Moses, your leader, who provided the manna. I want you to understand very clearly, it wasn't Moses who provided. Moses just pointed and went, look, look what God's made for breakfast. It wasn't Moses, it was God And Jesus says, now in your presence, God stands among you. Because when he says, I am the bread of life, the first thing he's saying is, I am. Again, you can go back to Exodus chapter 3 and read about God introducing himself to Moses as, I am. And what Jesus is doing at this point is he's saying before you, you people who wrestle with this error of, hey, this life is all we got, And if there is isn't afterlife, we've got to make it for ourselves. He says, well, standing in front of you is me, God, from heaven. So if you thought this is all there is, then uh, let my physical presence show you there is a realm beyond this one. Error one, busted, because I am God among you. I am the divine creator in flesh. And as I stand before you, you learn about the nature of God. You will learn something about God, just as you did in my miraculous feeding the other day, that God is never debtor, though he is provider. God is not a God who we will work hard, they will work hard, and we'll turn up to God one day with our timesheet and say, look at all the good things I've done, and God will say, okay yeah adds up to eternal life let me pay you what i owe you he's not a debtor but he is a provider just as he provided manna so jesus provides the bread of life jesus says i am god among you and in seeing me you will know what god is like that he's gracious and giving That you will know when you look at me what God is like. There's nothing scary to be revealed later. When you meet me, you meet God. There's nothing about God that's contrary to my character. And Jesus will underscore this later in John 15 where he says to Philip, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. The very start of the I am the bread of life statement is I am where Jesus is saying, hey, when it comes to life and eternity, I am the God who provides. It wasn't Moses. It's God, and guess what? I'm him in your presence. Let error one be busted. I'm from heaven. Let error two be busted. It's not the work you do, but my giving character that provides, just like I provided the manna back in your ancestors' day. Jesus had said, "I," and because I am from heaven and beyond this realm, I make you this promise I will raise you up on the last day. That is my power. When that last day comes, I'm the God who has the power to raise you up. Jesus goes on, He's saying, I am the bread of life. And as we advance one on the slides, thanks, Philip, uh, we're talking about Jesus who describes himself as the bread of life. That's, he's saying, look, I'm the provider. I'm also what you receive. I am the manna. I am the bread from heaven. He says, just like manna that was uh, sustaining you and keeping you going or your ancestors going, but you know what happened with them? Uh, eventually they died. Here's where I'm different to manna. I'm from heaven, I'm for you, I sustain you, and guess what? I will raise you up at the last day. And just like manna, I'm not your rights. You can't store me up, put me in a jar. You can't do any of that. You've got to be dependent upon God. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them. Just like no one could jump up into heaven and grab manna, We're utterly dependent upon the kindness of God who says, this is my son. Utterly dependent upon the kindness of God whose spirit works in our hearts now and says, these things have been written that you might believe that he is Christ the Messiah, who draws us to Jesus. Jesus is not the cookie jar in the office that you can just go and take as many as you want. Jesus is manna from heaven, the bread of life given to you personally by God Not because it's your rights, but because of God's kindness and his desire to sustain you and love you so that you don't fall like the generation in the wilderness did, but that he might raise you up on the last day. Jesus is like manna, but this bread of life is bread for eternal life. And so everyone says, well, this sounds great. How do we get it? Let's talk about eating. And once again, Jesus is going to speak about being the bread of life. He says, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. And I'll are you, are you hearing what he's saying once again? I'll raise them up at the last day. There's been confusion over what it is to eat Jesus from this passage through the ancient church and through some parts of Christianity to this day. This is a metaphor where Jesus is saying, just as you travel through the wilderness or your, your ancestors did, they entrusted their sustenance, their strength and their journey to this manner. There was nothing else. So in the same way, you will entrust yourself to me. This is not a story about cannibalism as the ancient church was accused of. This is not a story about me having some kind of special tricks when we do communion later to make Jesus in bread and wine. I can't do that. Uh, If I knew how to make a God, that would make me a God. That's just... It doesn't work. That's not what we're talking about. This is Jesus saying, would you entrust yourself to me for the journey like they entrusted themselves to manna for the journey? Faith, deep dependence on me if you trust in me i will raise you up on the last day and so jesus in this discourse this long discourse and i encourage you to jump into it is busting into the two errors he's saying there's more to this life don't let the stirring don't let the grumbling of your tummy shout out the stirring of your soul and he's saying don't let the work get in the way Depend on me, eat me, be hungry for me. Faith in me and me alone. Jesus says, I am the bread of life, come to me. And in this story, the creaturely errors, that there is nothing beyond, nothing beyond creation, neither to hope for or to hope in, Jesus makes the point. I am the bread of life the one from heaven come to you, the one in whom you can depend and I will raise you up on the last day because there will be one and I will raise you up on the last day. So never, ever, ever let the grumbling of your tummy be louder or more significant than the stirring of a soul that remains hungry for heaven. I'm going to pray. And then we're going to have a moment where we ask God to continue to strengthen us as we share in the Lord's Supper together. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your Son, our Saviour, the Lord Jesus. We thank you that indeed he is the bread of life. We thank you that he is God among us. We know our Creator. We know our Provider. We know your good character. We know your kindly hearts. Thank you that he is the bread of life, not just a meal to keep us going today to fill our tummies, but the bread of eternal life that will sustain us for our heaven-bound journey. Heavenly Father, make us homesick for heaven whilst we do the good works set before us and care for those around us and the planet you've entrusted to us. May we never lose our homesickness for heaven. Gracious Heavenly Father, as we eat this bread and drink this juice, may we once again be reminded that it's not about what we do, but utter dependence, like a hungry person needing a meal, that we entrust ourselves to Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. And so friends, I want to invite you with the the little cups that you do have, and if you didn't get one, would you just give a little wave and uh, our team will make sure that you do get one.